Hi everyone and welcome to the inaugural podcast for Conversations with the Code 9 Foundation. My name is Erin Smith and I'm a committee member and research consultant and it's my absolute delight and privilege to welcome for this very first podcast our founder and president Mark Thomas. Welcome Mark and thank you so much for joining us on this first Conversations with the Code 9 Foundation podcast. Thanks for having me. Great. Now, look, I want to take you back to 2003, if I may. Now, I believe that was when you had your triggering event. I'm wondering, for those who don't know you, if you can tell us a little bit about what that event was and, you know, and I'm just so we can let our listeners know that you were actually working with Victoria Police at the time. Yeah, so I graduated from Victoria Police Academy in 96. Um, probably for the first seven or so years, I went to a, uh, a number of um, deceased persons, trauma events, fatal accidents, etc. and I was always uh, pretty good with my resilience. They didn't overly um, concern me too much. I was there to do a job uh, and did that. But on uh, 8th of April 2003, I went to a um, different type of suicide, a suicide by hanging. I'd never been to one of those before. And uh, I maintain I was um, seriously injured on that day. Uh, I saw the deceased and uh, basically imprinted that into my mind. And I can, I can remember everything about the day, the pots and pans in the sink and the colour of the walls and the TV and the rabbit ears on the TV and... Um, just being extremely naive to mental health and uneducated. Uh, although I knew something wasn't right, I, I just didn't do anything about it. So then um, yeah, 10 years later after it's uh, climbed on me, I suppose, and the, well, the way I say it, you know, it hurt my resilience. So um, it chipped away at my resilience till I had none left. And, um, Ten years later, in February 2013, I was hospitalised and diagnosed with PTSD, depression, anxiety. Now, we've spoken about this before. We actually met, Mark and I met, in 2019, so about just over a year ago, actually, and it kind of blew my mind because I'm fairly new to the Code 9 Foundation and we can chat about that a little bit later. But for me, thinking about that 10 years how come it took 10 years for you to actually think, well, I need to do something about that? Well, it's just the, the distinct lack of education. Mm. Um, and no idea. I knew something wasn't right. I was doing, um, you know, the classical symptoms of anxiety and depression. I was showing all of those and um, become extremely hypervigilant and sleep patterns were terrible and, uh, just, just didn't do anything. I, and I, um, I don't look back at that and get angry with it. It is what it is. Uh, you know, I'm a lot more educated now, and that's what I've taken out of my journey. Is that, um, you know, be educated on stuff, especially in mental health. It's certainly, the message we push with the foundation and uh, with our covert groups, etc. And um, without the, if I hadn't had that education, none of it would have ever happened. Um, so I would have gone and got clinical treatment um, and dealt with that scene pretty swiftly. Yeah. No education. And so it's certainly it's something that I've learnt from my experience, not only over the past 12 months or so with the Code 9 Foundation, but 
more broadly with a lot of the work that I've been doing across the emergency services is that your experience is certainly not unique, unfortunately, um, that it does take a lot of emergency responders and not just first responders but a lot of people with mental health issues across, um, you know, the broad spectrum, um, you know, a long time to not only recognise that, hey, there's something not quite right here but to then seek help. And so, yes, you're certainly not alone in that journey. So I want to go back to the beginning of your your journey. So as you said, you knew pretty quickly that something wasn't quite right. And yes, that lack of education was certainly a significant factor for you. But I think one of the things that we've certainly learned across um, the emergency services sector as well is that there's certainly a lack of support, which is a huge issue as well. Um, how did that play into your journey as well from that emergency services uh, perspective in that feeling that you just didn't have the support there to reach out and say, hey, I need help here? How did that play out for you in terms of your journey and why it took so long for you to realise that you needed help? Yeah, I guess on a bit of a different case, um, in the sense that um, because I just didn't recognise what was going on, um, I, I didn't sing out to anyone. I, I didn't. Uh, it, it just didn't even cross my mind. But you know, saying that, though, we're talking about two thousand and three, uh, and you know, all of emergency um, services organisations are reflective society. And, you know, the mental health stigma in 2003 you know, was quite significant. I mean, we've done a amount of work to break that down, um, which continues to this very day. But, uh, you know, would I have been supported? I, I don't know. I, I depends. You know, like I, I know a lot of people who haven't been supported, and that's across a whole range of industries. But then I look at my journey, I've had... Um, just 100% brilliant, brilliant support from my manager who I've worked under for this part of eight years now. Um, so I'm, I'm extremely lucky in that sense, but, you know, I've got mates who uh, are the complete opposite. So it, it does have a enormous bearing on whether people put their hands up. If they know they're going to be supported, they will, you know, for the most part, seek out treatment and get themselves right. But if they know they're not going to be supported, they're not going to say anything. Yeah. So that, that, they're, they're the, um, the barriers we, we certainly need to break. Right? Yeah. And, I'm, I'm yeah, it's interesting because, yes, you, you're absolutely right. We have come a huge way, but obviously we, we, we know we've still got so many barriers to break down. And we, we saw that with the 2018 national survey that Beyond Blue did. And one of the issues that they identified that was stigma was still a huge issue. But interestingly, it wasn't so much that we're stigmatising each other, but we're stigmatising ourselves that we actually, you know, are, are, are labelling ourselves, which is really, really concerning. Um, I'm really interested in the ta- I'm really interested in the tagline that you have um, used with Code Nine in that you are never alone. Where did that come from, and why is that so important for you to to send that message out? When I was sitting in hospital, um, I was in for the best part of two weeks um, between a couple of places, and uh, I just felt intensely alone and I remember thinking at one stage that no one could possibly know what I'm going through now um, 
the healthy part of my mind. So the way I describe it, basically, in my normal human brain just basically shut down, uh, but my policing brain kicked in. Uh, so I was basically making making decisions and uh, very small ones. Sometimes it was overly very difficult to do. But you know the the, the smart, well not smart part, but the clever part of my brain um, switched on part of my brain, I should say. Uh, kicked in and said, well, no, you're not alone because plenty of other people uh, will be going through this. Um, so I sort of thought, you know what, once I get back to work full time, which at that stage was a complete bluff because I didn't think I'd actually ever work again, um, I'll, I'll start a little support group. For, and at that stage, it was just um, police where you know, if, if someone's suffering like I was when I was in hospital, then me and a few others can go in, sit around and just, you know, hey, we've, we've been there, we know what it's like, you're not alone. It's just basically as simple as that, just to let people know uh, that they are not alone. It's a very simple message, but, it, but it, it's just so powerful. And, and it really is. And I think I've reached out to you a couple of times since coming on board with Code9, and I think the way that Mark and I met uh, just over 12 months ago, Dan Sundahl, who so many who have been part of the Code 9 Foundation will be familiar with Dan and his incredible work. And when Dan came out to Australia last year, that's actually how Mark and I met. And it was actually through um, Don Gillies, who, again, anyone who's part of Code 9 is probably very familiar with with Don. And both Don and Mark were incredibly um, kind enough to do podcasts for my students and that's actually my paid gig is that I do um, I'm a, a, a university lecturer and they were both kind enough to do a podcast for my students in disaster and emergency response and at the end of, of Mark doing his podcast for my students I actually just reached out to him and said I'm just so you know, amazed by the work that you're doing. It's incredible. Please, if there's anything I could ever do for Code 9, please let me know. And he was actually one of the few who actually reached out to me not long afterwards and said, hey, were you actually serious about that? And I'm like, yeah, yeah, absolutely. And and that's sort of how I actually became involved with Code 9. And it's actually been one of the most rewarding experiences of my life, to be totally honest. And Mark is one of the most inspiring people that I've ever met. And I constantly reach out to Mark and say, I hope you realise just how many lives you've actually impacted and the, the, the absolute change that you're making in people's lives. Because I don't think you really get it sometimes, Mark, just the, the impact that you actually have in people's lives. Because what you did in, in what you just said there by starting out with that small little group of police officers back in what was it, 2013, has now grown to some 7,000 people across the open Facebook page, the covert groups, and is growing every single day. And so I don't know if you ever just stop and pause and actually reflect on what you've actually achieved. Like that's a pretty incredible impact that you're having in people's lives. And what does that mean to you? Like you have actually achieved that you are never alone tagline for nearly 7,000 people. What does that mean to you? Yeah, it's, and thank you for those words, very much appreciated. Um, look, there's a fair amount of, uh, there's a selfish aspect to it because, you know, like I am who I am and, like, I was, um, you know, I joined the police force because you want to help people. And, like, for the first half of my career, I helped people. That's basically what I 
um, the outside world. But you know, the way I look at it, the second half of my career and then my home life and I'm going, you know, I, I, I want to help my own and my own first responders. So, uh, so by doing all this, it, it's healthy for me to do. It's good for my own mental health. Um, and then, you know, as far as looking out, uh, yeah, yeah, there's been times where I've sat back and gone, yeah, that's pretty cool. Yeah, that's that's awesome. But I I think I get the most enjoyment um, out of seeing, um, you know, there's been some incredible people that have bought into the uh, the idea from the start, um, who have come along the journey, um, and then you've come on board and you've done so much work already. So I get to sit back and watch all these people who have bought into the idea and watch them grow into what we want to do with the foundation and with the covert groups. And then they spread out all this material and ideas and support and advice um, that helps so many other people. So from that little sort of start, that little thought, the reach has gone out quite substantially. Um, and that that's, that's what I enjoy seeing is how much it's helped other people grow um, and other people get the skills, um, show support, pile in, um, you know, when someone posts in the, in the covert group that they're having uh, a bad night or whatever, and you get all these people jump in and, you know, everyone's helping everyone. That That's, to me, that's the really cool part of it. Yeah, it's pretty. It's pretty exciting, and it's pretty. Um, like it gives you the the good feels to be part of that. To be honest, um, tell us about Cody. Yeah, well, that was it, it. Was interesting because I I knew who Rob was because um, he was on so many posters around Victoria Police, um, and then he came along to he actually messaged me one night. Um, this is really early on, um, and. Uh, He's asking what kind of support, and I we just had a chat over Messenger, and then he come along to um, one of the group meets that we have, well, not at the moment, thanks to the, the virus. But he um, and he brought along Jimmy, his assistance dog, and like that whole night for three hours was just purely bombarding him questions about Jimmy, and um, over the sort of the next I don't know, eighteen months or so, you know, become pretty good mates, and he. Um, another bloke come along, Stewie, and then Stewie got um, Frankie and another ADA assistance dog. And I was just sitting around and I was chatting with Rob and Ben um, last night. And I'm saying, I still remember sitting down in Anzac House, just the three of us, having a chat. And then it come up, do you reckon we could register as a charity and raise money for assistance dogs? And that's where it all, the, the, the idea to, you know, to, well, not exploit, I don't know what the word is, to continue the evolution of um, Code 9 and you know, become a rich charity. So, and we, and we did that. That, that. that was way cool when um, I got the email from the ACNC saying, yeah, you're, you're, you're a charity. And then, you know, all the hard work along the way and raising funds and some amazing people, made some amazing donations, etc. And then, yeah, we... we we sponsor an assistance dog through Assistance Dogs Australia, and that was, um, yeah. And that, what what the question before that was a, a sit back and go, 
cool. That's awesome. Because I know uh, having you know, pretty in-depth discussions with um, Rob and Stewie, just how much those dogs have impacted their lives, and not just theirs, then you're also talking about their family's life and you know, it's giving them a better life. It's giving them some of their life back, and that's you can't put a price on that. Yeah. So, you know, to start something and then to evolve into what it is now, and you know, Cody come along, and um, yeah, I can't wait for Cody to be. Uh, well, he, he'll be off to Sydney pretty shortly, I think, for his um, training at the kennels, uh, ADA kennels, and then. Yeah, someone's going to get a get an awesome dog, and they're going to get their life back. Which, you know, that at the end of the day, that's that's awesome. Yeah. That's, so, yeah. I mean, to 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 be able to play a small part in that is just incredible. And to anyone who hasn't had the opportunity to 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 have a look at um have a look on our uh, website and have a look on the Facebook page at the seven thirty report that we did that introduced Cody. Um, he is the most incredibly gorgeous dog, and for Mark and I to be able to spend some time uh, filming that segment was was pretty incredible as well. So that's definitely part of Code Nine's plans is to keep fundraising and to be able to continue to do that. Cody is hopefully just the first of many um, assistance dogs that Code Nine will hopefully be able to you know, contribute to, you know, not only first responders, hopefully down the track, but, you know, that you know, there's so many plans that Code 9 have um, to contribute down the track with assistance dogs. That's just, yeah, it was certainly the feels on that day, wasn't it, Mark, when we were filming that story? It was pretty special. That's when it starts to become very real. Um, Because, you know, we're, now we run events and then we're selling merchandise and we're doing this and we're doing that and, you know, like, Massive shout out to Ambulance Victoria for a fantastic donation last year, and um, and then you're sort of sitting there, and then you look at Cody with the the L plates on, and like I've, I've previously met Cody, and uh, just sitting there going, "This is awesome, mm. this is awesome." So, does, does that ever sort of you know when you when you have those kind of moments, does that ever you know? Cause, you know, yeah, you're you're a tough cop. <laughs> you know, does that ever sort of hit you right in the in the feels, and you sort of you, th- you think back to those moments when you were at your lowest, when when you're in hospital, when on some of those tough days, and you th- it kind of makes it, you know, those tough moments worth it. Yeah, and that's where I remember when I was finishing up with my first treater because um, uh, I was going to stay being treated in Melbourne. Um, she asked, if you could choose to have this, would you have it? And I, and I said, not now, because it just sucks completely. Um, and by have it, I mean post-traumatic stress. I said, down the track when I'm recovered, yeah, possibly, because it's just such a massive learning experience. Um, most days, I'm actually thankful for the journey I've been on. Um, there are some days, like one earlier on the week, I had nightmares and it was a crap day and they're the days you wish you never had them, um, that's for sure. But, you know, when you're having good days because it's, you know, moulded um, who I am now and I'm so much different to who I used to be, you know, in some ways good, in more ways than good, but in some ways not so good. Um, but overall, you know, because I went through what I did, you know, 
people are going to get assistance dogs and you know other stuff that the foundation is doing and you know we're not the donations that come in we're not saving it we're not putting it away for a rainy day it goes back directly into members and that's what we want to do mm. uh, is impact as many members as what we can and then there'll be another one of those moments where I can just sit back and go, this is just so way cool that we've got all these people that are now bought into this and we're impacting so many members. Yeah. That's, that's the awesome part of it. One thing that um, a lot of people don't get to see um, is the late night phone calls and all the chat messages and all the emails and all the Facebook messages that go backwards and forwards between Mark and all of the committee meeting, all the committee members, and the amount of times that we'll get so passionate, and I'll either message Mark or I'll ring him, and he's—I know he's either at work or busy doing stuff, but he'll always pick up the phone, and we're just so passionate and so excited, and we'll get so caught up in let's do this and could we do this and what about this and and one thing I've really been able to pick up from Mark is he's so passionate about helping the family members and the wives and the partners. And every time I've spoken to you about that, Mark, I can hear it in your voice. You are just so concerned about the wives and the partners and the families. And you always like, what can we do? What can we do to help them? And I know that's certainly an area that we want to grow and we certainly want to help that part of the foundation grow. But I'm going to throw a personal question at you here and I hope I don't catch you too off guard. But how has your journey with PTSD impacted your family? Uh, not ideal. Um, certainly not ideal. It, 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 it disrupts probably now um, the greatest disruption is I, I just can't go some places. I just I, I don't like being in um, yeah impact places. I, I now, when I say I don't like it, I pretty much cannot handle being in a packed room. So, um, you know, like we might go out somewhere and I'll last a certain amount of time before I've just got to leave, um, which, yeah, which sucks. You know, the social life is pretty much, you know, nothing. Um, but, yeah, you know, I can handle that for me. Oh, but, but it's, you know, the family... And the wife, if she wants to go out um, and have a night out um, with her husband, she, you know, pretty much she can't do it. We can go for a few hours and then I'm, I'm cooked. Mm. So I start to get a bit, you know, start to get shaky and um, I've, I've got an extra stage left. So um, that, in that regard, it, uh, you know, that, that, that's, um, that's just part of life now and that, that's what we live with. On, on the very much positive side, though, like I... I've got a very addictive personality, so I just said when I was in hospital, I'm not drinking. Um, I can't drink because I could see myself becoming alcoholic, alcohol dependent. So um, the wife does as a designated driver for life. So, <laughs> so there are some silver linings. There's always a silver lining, but you know, I um, I sprayed the kids a couple of times over stuff that they didn't deserve to be sprayed about, and. You know, thankfully, they, they don't remember most of it because um, they were young, but, you know, that's something I've got to live with. And Do you talk um, to your kids about it? Yeah, yeah very open about it. Yep. Um, they're well aware of what happened to me. Um, you know, there's been a couple of times where I've, um, 
you know, says some stuff I, I, I shouldn't have. Uh, and I've got to a stage now where I'm very thankful um, for, for the recovery I've made in that I've chased them up straight away and apologised and, you know, mm. that's, sorry, that's not, that wasn't you, that was me. That's uh, that's unacceptable for mm. me. So I make sure that um, they know that um, they didn't do anything wrong to the extent that, you know, uh, they required to get yelled at. Yeah. And do you think that that actually influences what you do within Code 9 and why you want to do what you do for the families and the partners within Code 9? Yeah, to, to a degree. Like, mm. I'll, I'll probably um, split down the middle. Like, there's so many members that are really, really hurting and I, I need to, um, you know, touch them in some way that um, improves their lives. You know, be that just through support or advice or getting them in amongst of other, a group of other people that know exactly what they're going through. But then on the other side, we see the families who um, really do it hard. Uh, and in general terms, I'm just speaking from what, I, uh, what I've seen in our partners group, as predominantly the, the wives and girlfriends who are the carers and, um, you know, they've got jobs, they've got kids, and they've got a, a husband or a boyfriend or fiancé, um, et cetera, who's... You know, so severely injured, they they mentally injured that they they basically can't do anything. So mm-hmm. the girls have just run off their feet massively, and you know, surely we, we, we've got a um, we've got an opportunity to to help them. And I, I think it's incumbent upon us to do everything we can to help the partners because I, I can see um, if we help the partners. It'll help the member. Yeah. So everyone's been helped, and hopefully, you know, our influence and what we can do and programs we can run for them, the support we can give to the partners, and then also the members. Hopefully, that can you know prevent marriage breakdowns and prevent um, people being yelled at and, and things like that, and get um, relationships mended. So, you know, like I, I don't. And this is easy for me to say. I'll put that caveat on because I'm still working. But I don't care for, about work when it comes to this. No, there's bigger things than work. So if a member's ill health retired, so be it. Um, and again, for those members of ill health retired, I'm saying that from a, a very, very easy place where I'm sitting. But what's m- more concerned to me is their, their health because it's pointless still being at work if your life's trash. Mm. I don't want you working if we can improve your life. That's what it's about. Yeah. Yeah, yeah absolutely. So we've just uh, run our first inaugural Code 9 mental health support package. We've um, very welcomed funding from the Firefighters um, charity and from Helga.rings, which was very welcomed, and Paul Saunders, um, psychologist who put together three webinars and um, some micro-learning packages through EDAP, which is fantastic. And we've been doing some podcasts for the partners group and we've been doing some Zoom um, chat sessions, which um, has been fantastic. And um, I may or may not have had a couple of gin and tonics on our last one, so that was a bit of fun. Um, We're doing the podcasts now, which has started with this one. 
Um, we're doing lots of great things and there's only, you know, fantastic things to come. I think you have so much to be proud of. My final question for you as we start to wrap up the podcast is that you are doing so much to support so many people. Who supports you at the end of the day? Um, I'm pretty good in supporting myself. I know when I need to um, back up. I know when I need time out. Um, I look after myself pretty well. Uh, but then you know, probably the two two main ones, Rob and Ben, um, you know, I bounce off them a fair bit uh, in, in a sense that um, if I'm not feeling right or if I need you know, some honest feedback or something, I'm not, I certainly know I'm going to get it off those two, black and white, um, which is great, which is exactly what I want. I don't want cuddles. So just tell me straight out what's going on, which is great. And then, you know, if I'm having a bad day, I know how to get through them. Um, I'm very lucky I've recovered quite well, even though I'm symptomatic all the time. Uh, But I know what my triggers are. I know how to counter them. And some some days it's just, you know what, just get through the day and we'll we'll reload again the next day and see how that goes. But my, um, actually you posted um, on the foundation page on Thursday, I think it was, is really good about um, people having the attitude that others have it worse and don't think like that. Because I, I, I loved that post because... What's important to me is most important to me. I, I could name, you know, 500 people that are worse off than me, absolutely. But what's important, how I'm going is what's most important to mm. me. So I always put myself number one um, because I can't be a good husband, a good father, a good friend, a good employee, a, a, you know, a good support service to, to other people on the foundation and others if I'm not right myself. So... Um, yeah, I'm always, always looking for ways and tinkering with things. Like I've um, cut right down on dairy the last sort of couple of weeks. I actually feel a bit better, even better. So there's another thing. It's just tinkering and tidying a screw here and having a look around and see you know, how I can improve myself. But then this is a very long-winded answer. <laughs> <laughs> That's fine. But I think it's so important, isn't it, that it's a constant process. It's It's always like you said tinkering away at it and what's worked for a really long time might stop working all of a sudden and we need to go back and reassess go back to the drawing board and it's so important to to not compare ourselves to others because what works for one person might not necessarily work for for us and yeah comparing ourselves can be quite dangerous and it's really important to open yourself up to other means um you know exercise diet um, alcohol intake, all of that. But then, you know, I remember meeting, um, going to Blind Tiger Yoga for the first time. Mm. Ross was instructing and um, hour and a half later I walked out going, wow. So, and then being able to sit down with, you know, first of all, meeting Ross, meeting Tristan, meeting Keely, um, you know, and then having the, you know, the, the distinct pleasure of being able to get to know those people um, and then, like, I don't know everything. I'm far from it. But tap into those people that you'll get knowledge from. And those three people I've got so much knowledge from. I've got so much from Rob, from Ben, from you, um, from Stewie, yeah, from 
whole range of people, open yourself up, be a sponge, learn off other people. And when you just said it then, what works for me may not work for, say, Rob, but something that he's doing may work for me really well. So give it a go. Like, open yourself up, explore different ways of recovery. And for those people that don't need recovery because they're not mentally injured, you know, still practice your mindfulness, your meditation, look at your diet, look at your exercise, keep yourself mentally healthy. Absolutely. Well, I think that's been a brilliant first podcast. Um, I thank you for your time. I thank you for everything that you do. And I will sign off with your tagline, you are never alone. Thank you so much for everything you do, Mark. Thanks, Sharon. Appreciate the words.